This is the Ellensburg Angler Podcast. Quote in. Quote in. <laughs> Stud on the squalor, baby. Oh, that was a big fish, dude. Woo! This is a six-pound fish, dude. I was like, oh, yeah, yep. At all costs, do not drink the water. <laughs> I was sitting in a ball in my boat with my hands in my armpits trying to stay warm. When yeah. I get hangry, yeah, fishing's done. done. What's going on, Keegan? Nothing much, Kyle. How you doing? Doing good. Still going crazy, man. I know, man. It's man. Uh, This is an exciting podcast. I know, right? We got our first guest on today. I know. Who do we got today, Kyle? We have Alex Kuiper, right? Is that, 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 that how pronounce your last name, Alex? That's correct. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Alex. We're excited to have you on today. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for being our guinea pig, our first guest on the podcast. Yeah, I'm honored. I feel like it's a it's a real privilege. All right, Alex, let's uh get to do a little background on yourself. Um, maybe a little bit about where you're from, a little bit about family, your education, how you got to Washington, because we all know you're not from Washington. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in Michigan, um, the West Side, Holland, Michigan, to be exact. So uh, I grew up there and left when I was um, 18. I came out here for undergrad, went to Seattle Pacific uh, University for my degree in psychology, and then uh, moved to Iowa for a few years while my wife went to vet school. Um, and that was an interesting time. Obviously, I was not the epicenter of fly fishing, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's actually, oddly enough, where I first picked up the sport. Um, one of my good buddies out there got into it and we just you know went out to the ponds and did a lot of uh, bass fishing and you know really just fell in love with the sport at that time um but yeah i've got most of my family is is still back in michigan some of them are in nashville but they come and visit every once in a while and actually got to take my brothers and dad out to the the yakima last year um with you guys which was a really good time yeah, that was, that was a fun day. We killed it. We killed it. It was great. The weather, the weather killed us, but we also killed the fish. So yeah, it, it was good all, all around. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. So yeah, and then we came back out to Washington about I don't know five or six years ago, and have been here ever since. Um, we live in Seattle, my wife and I do. And yeah, this is this is home now. So I think we're here for the the long haul. Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're happy, happy to have you on the team. It's been a very cool, very exciting, very fun last couple of year and a half. It's a year and a half, hasn't it been? Or is it two years now? Uh, it's like a year and a half. I mean, I, I technically, you know, joined the team in like, I don't know, it was like October, November. Uh, 2018. Uh, 2018. Yeah, 2018. 2018. Yeah. Um, obviously did a lot of, you know, training and stuff before actually getting my first trip, but yeah, that was when that was when I kind of started with with the team. Okay, cool. So when when uh you were saying about you fishing with your buddy uh um back where you grew up, mm-hmm. was that your introduction to fly fishing, or was that was, did you start fishing a little before that? Yeah, I mean, I grew up fishing. I mean, that was what my brothers and I did growing up. Um, but just you know the the standard you know fishing for bass and ponds. Um, conventional gear, all that stuff. Um, that's that's what my brothers and I did growing up. Especially, I always I always attribute my my fishing addiction to my grandma, who um, at her, her condo complex had a pond with just giant bass and catfish. Nice. We would go there all the time with her, and, and she would she'd sit there with a with a rod with liver on a hook, <laughs> catching catfish, and we'd be walking around catching bass and. Um, that's kind of when it all started. So I, I really didn't pick up fly fishing until, you know, I left Seattle, which is kind of ironic. Um, Mm -hmm. took me moving to Iowa to pick up fly fishing, but uh, (laughs) yeah, as soon as I did, it was just, it became a a pretty, uh, pretty big obsession, obviously. And, Mm -hmm. um, really the thing that, that set it over the edge was going to, um, Idaho we did my brothers and dad and I did a trip out to Idaho the Teton Valley Lodge and did two days of, of guided fishing which um, you know that was a couple years into 
me being in the sport, but you know, that was kind of the thing that, that put it over the edge of just like, this is, this is my thing. This is what I want to do for, you know, most of my free time. This is what I want to spend it doing. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I kind of know the story. Uh, Cause you, with getting started with Helensburg Angler, you contacted Todd, right? Is that how you got, got introduced with us? Yeah. I, I actually get this question sort of frequently of how I got started guiding and um, like a lot of things in my life, I just, I don't know. I'm just, I just emailed Ellensburg Angler. I think it, it was just literally info at Ellensburg Angler. Um, and it was just like, Hey, I'm interested in, in guiding, you know, what's the application process like? And this was, you know, kind of at the beginning of my process and wanting to become a guide um, and kind of taking a step back. The reason why I wanted to guide in the first place is because I'm a, a school counselor. That's my day job. Um, so obviously I have breaks. I have all summer. I have winter break, all that kind of stuff. So um, it was something that just made sense to me. I mean, I, I love teaching. I love, you know, guiding people. And so it was just kind of a natural step in that direction with the fly fishing. Um, so yeah, I, I emailed Ellensburg Angler and, Todd quickly emailed me back and just said, Hey, can I give you a call in a little bit? And I said, sure. Um, and so he gave me a call and it was kind of like this informal, you know, phone interview, which mm -hmm. is really randomly and asked some basic questions and asked why I was interested, all that kind of stuff, my background, what, you know, what skills I had or what, what experience I had that would you know, make me a good guide. And obviously, um, you know, being a school counselor, I also coach lacrosse. I have, you know, a lot of connections with coaching and teaching and, and education. So it was a natural, you know, a natural connection to that, that industry. So, yeah, I mean, and then Todd was just like, hey, come out and fish with us for a day and we'll talk more. And that kind of started it all. That's pretty cool. So my advice to people who want to, who want to become a guide is always just email people, email people, call people, just make, yeah, just put, put, put some feelers out there and just ask questions. I mean, I, I, you know, got help from a few different people when I was looking to become a guide and everybody I reached out to got back to me and just was super open and helpful with all that. So don't be afraid to reach out. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's pretty common for people that get into guiding or want to get into guiding. They have that passion for wanting to teach. Yeah. And I think I can really see that when you, when you're guiding, when, yeah. when you're on the water. So that's, that's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah go ahead. I was going to say it's that, you know, combination of wanting to be, you know, that teacher of the sport, the education side of it, where you can, you know, are constantly, you know, instructing your clients and and teaching them about the river about the sport in general um and also just like a little bit of like service industry where we're like trying to make this experience like something that they really appreciate and want to come back for um and so i think it's really unique in that way yeah sure. i feel like i feel like if you have a passion to teach you also have patience and you definitely need that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes absolutely yeah if you don't have a passion to teach you probably shouldn't guide yeah yeah you, yeah. you need to be able to say a one four-letter word all day and that is m-e-n-d <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah alex guides the yakima river but he also guides what separates him from us is that he guides the cedar river which is everywhere on the west side of the mountains uh, pretty popular trout fishing river in the uh, most populated areas of uh, western Washington. And we're bringing Alex on today just to give a little bit of background on that river. For anybody listening that lives in the area and has been curious about the fishery, Alex is going to shed some light on the fishery and uh, help you guys have more su successful days out there, but also just help you guys with some gear that he uses for getting on the river and also maybe talk about a little bit of Euro Nymphin, which is something he does out there so um, yeah Alex you want to maybe give us a little background on the cedar um, and maybe start with like the main species and kind of go down the line there yeah for sure so um, you know obviously with the cedar being in the most populated area of the state it's it's definitely a well-known river and can be um, 
pretty busy and, and pressured at times, but, um, you know, I think, I think people give it a, a bad rap sometimes just because it is kind of a quote unquote urban river. Um, and there's certain parts of it that aren't necessarily the most, uh, picturesque, but then again, there are also some really, really cool areas of the river. Um, if you're willing to walk and explore, there's, you know, a lot of solitude and, and, you know, really beautiful stretches of river. Um, but it's, a uh, it's a river that flows right through the city of Renton, just south of Seattle. Um, it flows into Lake Washington, which is actually not uh, its natural destination. Uh, originally, it flowed into the Green River, which then flowed out into the, the Sound. So um, I don't know when they diverted it to flow into Lake Washington, but it's been a while that it's done that. So yeah, it flows into Lake Washington. Um, it starts in the Cascades. There's a reservoir that uh, holds the water, um, Chester Morse Lake, kind of by Cedar Falls. Um, that's the kind of start of the, of the tailwater section, which leads into Lake Washington. And so from Chester Morse down to Lake Washington, um, there's actually only 21 miles of that stretch that are uh, open to fishing. So from the Landsberg Bridge, um, down to the mouth of the river in Lake Washington. That's the 21 mile stretch of fishable water. Um, and it's only open from, um, it used to be the first of June through August, but they just changed it to uh, Memorial Day weekend that Saturday through August. So it's only open for three months. And I think that's a really good thing because it is a pretty highly pressured river. Um, it keeps it from being completely overfished all the time um you know there's there's also some spawning salmon and i think a few remaining steelhead that come in so they are hoping to keep those things protected and um yeah just keep the river healthy it was actually completely closed for a long time um and then opened in 2004 again with the special gear restrictions so single barbless hooks um, you know, catch release only, all that stuff. Um, you know, same, same as the Yakima in terms of the uh, gear restriction, but that doesn't keep a lot of people from, you know, breaking those rules. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of the things I wanted to be sure to mention in this um, in this episode is just for those people who do fish it, um, make sure you're you know doing a good job of informing and educating those other anglers on the river. If you do see people, um, you know, not abiding by those regulations, try to educate them, you know, inform them of, of those, those rules. Cause some people just don't know. Um, some people do it anyways, um, and are just oblivious. So I don't, I don't think it's uh, a bad idea to let your, you know, wildlife, uh, police know that you've uh, seen some people doing some illegal stuff because they know, I mean, WDFW is pretty aware of the fact that there's uh, quite a few poachers and, and people not abiding by the regulations on the river, but it's hard for them to patrol it without, you know, tips and having support from, from other anglers. So. Very cool. Yeah. That's a big part of it. In the, in the short time that it's open during the year, um, does it get a lot of pressure? Is there a lot of people that like just attack it for the, the period of time that it's open or is it pretty spread out? Yeah, it's, um, it can be busy. I mean, I think people think it's busier than it actually is. I mean, it's busy in, in the sense of there being a lot of people on the river, not everybody's fishing. Um, you know, I can, I can go on the river any day during the summer and find areas where I won't see anybody else. Okay. Especially fishing. Like I, I could go there and, and find, you know, stretches of river where I would not see another angler. I might see another person, you know, um, floating in a tube or, you know, just taking a walk, but, um, there's plenty of area for, for people to, to spread out and, and, you know, get their own space. Okay. Yeah. But that's not to say it doesn't get hit pretty hard, you know? Because it's because it's so close to Seattle, and because it's only open those three months, people people like to fish the river a lot, and um, you know it's 
it can definitely be busy in certain areas. So what are the main species of fish that you're focusing on in the river? So it's, uh, it's primarily um, rainbow trout and coastal cutthroat. Um, so it's a little bit different than, than the Yakima where there's, there's West Slope <laughs> cutthroat. Um, so it's, uh, the coastal cutthroat are, you know, a lot of people know them as like the sea run cutthroat, those kind of things. It's, um, same species. They can still crossbreed with the rainbow. So there's some cut bows and, um, in the river as well. Um, there's also whitefish lots of huge suckers i actually just walked the river the other day and just saw huge schools of of suckers um those things could be those things can be a fun bycatch at times uh, <laughs> and then actually we um a few people last year caught smallmouth at the at the like close to the mouth of the river oh really wow. yeah they come up from from the lake um i think when it's a little bit warmer water temps um that'll happen, but it's definitely not common, but they, I mean, there's small mouth in that lake. So, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, some of them coming up into that river. Is that, is that people targeting them at the mouth or is that no. like just fishing for trout and they accidentally catch them? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Yeah. So I would think so there'd be different regulations. What's that? I would think there'd be different regulations like at the mouth there for the, the lake and the cedar, right? Yeah. I don't think so. It's really? literally to the actual lake. Like, Okay is the yeah is the area you can fish oh wow yeah um yeah and as i mentioned earlier there there are some uh salmon um that come to spawn in the cedar so they go through the the locks into lake washington up to cedar um you know they they used to have a pretty big run of sockeye um that used to be the big thing in the cedar and they still have a pretty decent run they're i mean they have they the uh um, you know, salmon viewing during the fall. Um, there's an organization called, I think it's like the Friends of the Cedar River Watershed or something. And they do like free education on uh, the spawning salmon every fall. I think all the, all the creeks and streams that flow through the Seattle area have something like that. So there's some salmon in there. And then um, again, there used to be steelhead. I there might be a few every year, but nothing like it used to be. Have you ever heard of anybody accidentally catching a salmon or steelhead on the cedar? No, I mean, definitely not salmon just because of the season um, with it not being open when they're actually running. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard and seen pictures of people catching, you know, 25 to 30 inch trout that very well could be a steelhead but um you know it's it's definitely not common gotcha what would yeah, you I was, I was reading something that the cedar used to be known as the place where you could catch 30 pound steelhead Dang. like way back in the day um that's a small river for that big of fish i feel yeah, like yeah that's pretty sweet yeah and i but the red counts for for those steelhead have gone just drastically down there's like single digit numbers every year now wow so that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, how, so just put, put, it, put it in perspective for people that have never fished the river. How, how wide is the river? It's pretty small. I mean, it, for those that know like flows and how that translates to size, it, it flows anywhere from, you know, usually at the beginning of the season, it's around, you know, 350, 400, sometimes a little bit above that. Um, and then by the end of this season, it's typically around like 200, 150 CFS. Mm -hmm. um, so it's anywhere from like, I don't know, 20 to 40 feet wide, probably at the most. Okay. Um, so can you wait across it in a lot of places? Yeah, almost all of it. And that's, that's one of the things that makes it, um, you know, for those people who are willing to walk, um, you can pretty much especially when the flows are down to like 200, 250, you could, you could theoretically walk all 21 miles of that wow. open wow. stretch of river, which makes it really cool. Like you can, you can just access so much water, mm -hmm. um, you know, unlike somewhere like the Yakima where if you don't have a boat, it's pretty difficult to really see a ton of the river 
at all of those access points. You kind of have to drive from point to point mm-hmm. um, or, you know, hike through the woods, that kind of stuff. But, you know, in the cedar, it's like if you can get in the river, you could you could find, you know, spots to to hit that aren't as populated. And um, so that makes it that makes it really nice. I, I personally love that size of river. It's, you know, it's a lot easier for new anglers to digest, to be able to see like where those fishy runs are. And they don't, you know, they don't have to see the river in the river. It's like, you know, if you have 20 feet wide, 30 feet wide, it's pretty easy to, to hit all of that and really get a a good sense of that, that water there. What kind of terrain does the river flow through? Like what, what is the ecosystem, I guess, or habitat look around the river? Um, so it's a typical like Western Washington landscape. Um, you know, it's a lot of wooded areas. There's some big parks that, that run alongside it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, there's some spots that are really wooded secluded areas. And then there are some spots that go through almost more residential areas. It flows right along a golf course. Um, so it's, it, it varies quite a bit throughout the stretch of the river. Is it floatable? Uh, it is, but not from a normal drift boat like we guide out of. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been really interested in getting uh, one of those like fly craft, like two person inflatables. I think something like that would be interesting to try to take on it. But anything like float tubes and stuff like that, you could do that. No problem. Okay, cool. So like a, like a two man raft would probably be the biggest one to go, huh? For sure. Okay. Yeah. Like no hard boats? No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it, especially this year, I mean, not sure if you guys have, have seen pictures of it since the huge flood that, that it had. Um, but it's, it's a totally different river. Really? Um, so I, yeah, I, I walked a few miles of it the other day. Um, obviously didn't fish it cause it's not open and we can't fish here in Washington right now. So yeah, uh, it was kind of sad, but um <laughs> It was, it was absolutely crazy to see that river. Um, you know, the spots that I used to take clients to, I, I can't even take them to now because it's a, a completely changed river. Um, that being said, a lot of stuff opened up. So there was, yeah, for those that don't know, there was some pretty uh, major flooding um, in, I think it was January or February, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um on on the cedar and and really most western washington rivers um but it there were spots where the river completely changed course like if you go there and, and look at it you know some of the spots that used to do like a big you know bend or s curve in the in the river it pretty much just like blew through you know the the bank and it's just like a straight section of river now wow it's just it's so bizarre um but the benefit of it is it cleared a bunch of the like brush and um, you know, overhanging stuff along the river. So when I went there, there were spots that I wouldn't have been able to access in years prior that I was able to just walk straight through along the bank, along the, you know, new trails that have been created. So it's pretty cool just because, you know, I obviously fish that river a lot. So when there's only 21 miles of river that are open, you get pretty familiar with those, uh, with those 21 miles or, I mean, really that I fish probably 10 of those 21 miles. Um, so you get pretty familiar with it. So it's fun to, to have some new, some new water to, to experience. So we'll see what it did to the fish and bug life. But, um, as in terms of fishing access and, and novelty, it's pretty fun. Heck yeah. So what is the best time to fish the cedar? Does it fish pretty well all the way through that season that it's open? Definitely. I mean, obviously the first week or two it's open, it can be pretty hot with, um, you know, the fact that it hasn't been fished much. So the fish are, you know, they'll eat a lot of different things. I mean, people throw streamers a lot at that those first couple weeks, um, just hunting for those big fish and they can be pretty, yeah, they can be pretty hungry at that that time. Um, and then 
there's also typically halfway through the, the, the summer, they'll, they'll drop the flows down a little bit more. Um, and what I've found in the past couple of years too, is, you know, when they do that, it can be pretty, it can be pretty awesome for, for a few, uh, a few days or, or weeks around that time. Um, but it really, I mean, it really fishes awesome all three months. I mean, there's, there's definitely different bugs that are coming off at different times. Um, but for the most part, it, it's a consistent, it's a consistent river from, you know, June through, through August. What are some of those hatches that are popping off? Like the major hatches. Mm -hmm. So obviously a lot of caddis, um, being summer, it's, there's going to be tons of caddis. There's actually a bunch of caddis already, um, the other day when I was out there. So it's pretty fun to see. Um, that's gotta, been, that's gotta hurt. Oh man, it was, <laughs> yeah. so tough. it was so tough. Some big, you know, size fourteen, size twelve cat is coming off. And <laughs> just watching them. I can just see the walk of shame by Alex just walk walking the bank. Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was just catching bugs and looking at them and dreaming of the days when I could actually fish again. Yeah, Kyle, were, were, you, were you catching them like this, like <laughs> with heart music in the background? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Kyle uh, and I will be doing that here soon if we can't fish by Mother's Day. Dude, yeah. seriously. Yeah. Yeah. For all the caddis. I'm sure with how warm it's been, there's <laughs> probably caddis flying around the Yakima right now quite quite regularly. Oh, yeah. I, I um, drove back to the canyon yesterday from Yakima, and my windshield is pretty splattered. Oh, I really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's happening. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously lots of caddis, and that's throughout the whole summer. Um, there's a lot of PMDs. Uh, pale morning duns they actually that can be pretty hot right at right at dusk um so right before right before the sun goes down especially for the first the first couple um months i've found especially in june early july it can be really awesome right at dusk um with those pmds same thing with caddis too i mean right at right at dusk the river does close um at sundown just another note on the regulations so as soon as it gets dark you got to get off the river um so i've i've always wanted to fish it at night just to see what i could pull out of there but um you know most nights you just get out right right as it's getting dark and then we do have um you know summer stones there's Last year, there's still remnants of salmon flies um, when the season opened in in late May. Um, but I, I mean, it's very, very few. And that's typically, you know, if fishing attra- big attractors is going to work anytime during the summer anyways. So I don't think it really coincides too much with the salmon fly hatch at all. Um, but plenty of nymph, plenty of salmon fly nymphs stonefly nymphs that's obviously common um but yeah really you know those summer mayflies and and caddisflies are really the biggest things to to focus on there's um there's a pretty decent drake population um there were a couple days last year where i was out and it was you know pretty good in the afternoon some pretty good sized not sure if they were gray or green drakes but um definitely lots of big mayflies flying around well that's very cool yeah yeah it's yeah it's i mean it's a it's it can be a really buggy river i mean most nights there's there's a pretty good hatch of something and um you know throwing dry you'll you'll get pretty pretty lucky throwing dries most most days that's awesome yeah what are some of the the best places to access the river is it mostly public is it private how does that go yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of spots to access the river. Um, you know, obviously there are the spots that that a lot of people like to safeguard a little bit um, as just, you know, not as popular. But really the, the big ones that people go to um, are like the main, there's like one big, you know, riverfront park near the mouth in Renton. Um that is i mean it's massive and there's tons of access there is that the community um, park at the community yeah. center that's where i've fished before huh? yeah I don't... yeah pretty much from that community center in a few miles uh east like there's a huge 
yeah, huge park that just runs along the river there. That's what we did. I think there's that one parking lot up the road there. And we did like a, a wading shuttle kind of. Yeah. It's like a mile and a half, maybe a little longer river. Yeah. 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 So that's, you know, that's a big, a major access point for people. Um, there's a park. Um, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. Um, is that where we did the cleanup? The baseball? Yeah. Ron, Re- Ron Regis. Ron, Ron Regis. Regis. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a huge, a huge park. And again, it's tons of access there. Um, that's a really busy park during the summers, just in terms of, you know, not just anglers, but families going out, barbecue and that kind of stuff. Um, but great, a lot of great access. Um, if you go on you know middle of a weekday, that's, you know, you're probably going to be fine. Um, I took clients there almost every time I, I guided last summer and it was a great spot to go to kind of do introductory stuff because there was a lot of space um you know for for casting so we would set up there and and you know go through casting and and some of the basics um so that's a good access i mean the thing i i most most of the times tell people is just go to google maps you know look at pull google maps up satellite look at different um you know parks or um, different areas drive around i mean every spot that i've found there it's just look on a map drive to it see if there's some sort of way you can access the river um and again with the with the recent high water event there's even more access i've found um you know along the along the road i mean there's a trail that that runs pretty much the length of the river that you can walk up and down and access the river so that's cool access is definitely very easy um, which is helpful because I think it spreads out the pressure a little bit. Okay. Nice. So probably best two spots to go like community center and Ron Regis. Yeah, I think to start and then okay. you can always walk from there. Okay, cool. Yeah. There's a lot of, Everybody's, that's all free, free parking, right? You don't need mm-hmm. a parking pass or anything like yep. that. Yeah. It's okay. just city, city property. Okay, cool. Yeah. But everybody's got their favorite spot. I have mine. <laughs> I know, I know some of our buddies have, have their favorites and, mm-hmm. We all reference them, so we're gonna put those coordinates in the show notes, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll give the coordinates of the the one the one hole that I always catch big fish in. <laughs> Look at that! I guess you gotta, uh, book, you gotta book a trip with Alex to learn those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, how about safety, Alex? Um, I know I've I've walked along the cedar a little bit, uh, not fish, just walking, and I know I've seen some some interesting people down there is it is it pretty safe it can be can be <laughs> yeah um i think if i were you know um yeah I, I think i would i would be nervous if i wasn't a, a six foot two mm. you know decently sized male um just because i think i'd you know i'd be fine being out there by myself but going in a group is not a bad idea um i think it's there are some areas where it can be i don't i don't know if it's necessarily like you know um dangerous in terms of like you know your your personal you know health and well-being but you know there every year there's tons of break-ins um in vehicles i mean ours my my vehicle got broken into um and they're pretty seems like they're pretty, uh, skilled, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever you want to skilled so, break-ins. Cause so we, I mean, my vehicle was locked. The glove box was locked and they somehow accessed my vehicle and glove box. Dang. Did they get anything good? Oh yeah. Oh really? Yeah. My wife's wallet and phone. Whoa. Yeah. And she and put they... it in the glove box locked. Wow. Um, so it's probably we... a good thing to go there just fishing during the day. So it's yeah. probably some good advice not to fish it at night. Yeah, and we, so we kind of figured out what they did. And this is, again, um, just, I think, a, a cautionary tale for those people. They they pretty much had, like, a, a person who was kind of scouting where they came down by the river where we were and were just kind of, like, walking around. Like, they, they were definitely looking weird. Like, when we were, we were just sitting there fishing and they were just kind of walking around, like, 
splashing the river, just like these middle-aged dudes. And we're just like, huh, that's kind of weird. Um, and then they just like, maybe like 15, 20 minutes later, walked away. Um, so we're pretty certain that they were just the kind of the lookout to make mm-hmm. sure that we didn't start walking back. But it, yeah, it was honestly, it was middle of the day. Um, wow. So I think what I've started doing more is, um, is parking on the main street. So on the Maple Valley highway that just runs right along the river, if you can just park right on the, right on the main road, um, you know, don't park in a really covered parking lot. Um, I think those, those are the areas that those people target. Um, and take all your stuff with you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Just don't leave valuable stuff. Um, and it was one of those moments where like, I, I had told my wife that like at that moment, like, Oh, you should bring your phone and wallet. And you left it in the car in the locked glove box and it still, you know, got stolen. So I know that that, uh, I I feel like that is one of the things that might deter pressure a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think because it has that reputation uh, because it is a relatively urban river and we have a certain reputation with property crime in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, yeah, it can be, it can be a common occurrence, but just, yeah, just practice, you know, some level of safety with that. And yeah, I think it'll be fine. That's cool. That's good for people to know um, Mm -hmm. if they're going out and fishing, especially people that are new to the river. Yeah. 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 Go to a, yeah, go to a really busy area or, um, you know, park on the road just to make sure that you're feeling safe. That's a good idea. Um, Good. So I might go and uh, just leave my truck unlocked, take everything out, put a sign on the window. Please do not break my window. Truck is unlocked. Take whatever you want. I do. I know people do that. Really? Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. It's smart. I think that's a better idea. I mean, that's what I, you know, I just make sure I take everything out and don't have anything visible. Yeah. Remember we had that string of break-ins on the Yakima Was it last year, the year before. Yeah. I remember a couple of our guides yeah. left their trucks unlocked, a little sign in the window that said, hey, please don't bring my window, our car's unlocked. Because it was, yeah. we don't get a lot of break-ins on the, on the Yakima, but it was like that one string, there was a group there that were just doing like every day. The sheriff's office had a little scouts out um, at the boat launches, and it was a, it's kind of a big deal, but. Yeah. But yeah. It's, I know, it's I know for people in, in Western Washington, in the Seattle area, it's, that is not a surprise. I mean, if mm-hmm. if you live in this area, that is like our number one, you know, issue with crime here is just that kind of petty property crime. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I hear from my neighbors all the time that their, you know, cars were rifled through or their, wow. you know, somebody was casing their house or whatever, but it's, I mean, the majority of the time, those people are not dangerous. They're just looking for, you know, things to sell or, or money so they can probably buy drugs or whatever. But, um, you know, I don't think those people are, are necessarily dangerous. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Can you break down a, uh, maybe a guide trip on the Cedar? So if someone books a trip with you, what, what can they expect? Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we book them as, as classes. So, um, we don't really necessarily call them like a guided trip. Um, because I think the, you know, walking wades are, are a little different. Um, they're just a, a very different experience than being in a boat. Um, but it allows you to be much more kind of hands-on with the teaching and the instructing side of things. Um, and so the way we, the way that I've been doing those trips is, you know, starting out with like very, um, intro level, like casting line management, um, rigging those kind of things. You know, the majority of the people that I've had, um, on the river have been pretty new. Um, you know, probably, honestly, probably a quarter to 30% of them have been like brand new anglers. Um, and then the other, you know, 50 to 70% have been, you know, pretty new, still learning quite a bit. So it's been mostly just the educational instructional side of things. Um, so it's a six hour class, um, or might've been five hour. Can't quite remember, um, but it was, you know, started out with rig up, rigging up, casting instruction, um, some of the, you know, flies that 
I like to use. Um, and then the other big part of it is, is really exploring the river. So, you know, the people who came out last year with me, um, who were actually like experienced anglers were more so looking to learn more about the cedar specifically. Okay. Um, and I really liked those trips because it was like, okay, so you can, you know, we don't need to spend, you know, X amount of time casting. Let's just like go and explore these different areas of the river um, and talk about like, you know, how I would fish that section um, or what is special about like a certain stretch of river, um, you know, go into more depth about like, you know, water temps and bugs and that kind of thing. Um, also did a couple trips that were solely Euronymphing. So people came out and were like, I want to just Euronymph, um, which I think this year I would love to do like specific Euronymphing classes. Okay. Um, can you, um, can you explain a little bit what, what Euronymphing is? I know we wanted to hit that top today. Um, yeah. People that don't know what, what Euronymphing is. Yeah. Yeah. So Euronymphing, Tightline Nymphing, um, Czech Nymphing, these are all kind of the same thing. Um, but the idea is that you have a, a tight line to your flies. So there's no indicator. Um, and it's, it's all, um, you know, basically leading the flies through, through the drift. Um, and it's way more sensitive than fishing with an indicator, um, because you have that direct connection to your flies. Um, so they're going to be pretty heavily weighted, most of the time, heavily weighted flies. Um, and you're just, again, leading them through the drift, waiting for either your, um, your little cider material on your, on your, um, leader to move at all. Or a lot of times you'll even just feel it and you'll just set the hook on them. Um, so it's a really, it's a really, um, yeah, kind of an intimate way of fishing because you're so close to the fish and, and feeling the fish through those, um, through that drift. So um yeah it's just, it's a pretty common um i don't know if it's necessarily a fad right now but it's kind of seems like the the popular thing right now very cool it's it's yeah it's insanely effective on the cedar just based on the size of river so what's a go-to setup for you uh rod reel wise what kind of flies what patterns are you throwing with that euro stuff um, so with the Euro rig, it's, um, the rod that I fish the most is the, uh, Orvis recon 10 foot three weight. So it's, um, yeah, the rods are going to be much lighter weight. Um, so a lot of people fish two and three weight. You don't need a rod like that to Euro nymph. It just helps because of the sensitivity, um, in the rod tip and the, the rods that are specific to Euro nymphing um just have that extra level of sensitivity they're a little bit yeah a little bit more flexible in the tip um and again being a 10 foot rod um you have a little bit more reach so you know since you're not relying on that indicator to suspend your nymphs um you want to be able to have that extra that extra reach to get over you know different different currents and different seams um but anywhere from a 10 foot to 11 and a half foot rod is really common for your nymphing. I would say, you know, if, if Orvis did make an 11 foot three weight recon, I would have bought that, but at the time they didn't. Um, so I just have the 10 foot three weight. I also have the, you know, 10 foot three weight, uh, clear water that I've, uh, you know, used for clients and those kind of things. Um, but it's a great rod too. I, I really like that rod. Um, and then in terms of, of line, so that's another really unique thing with, with your own nymphing. Um, there's a couple different ways you could set up your, your rig there. So some people, um, including myself, just use straight mono from their reel to their, their um, actual leader. So it's, it's really technically part of the leader, but you know, for all intents and purposes, it's basically just the 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 line that you manage with your with your line hand um so i use anywhere from 20 to um 30 feet of 20 pound mono and then have a slowly tapered section um down to 12 pound a few feet of 12 pound 
And then that goes straight into um, that cider material that I was mentioning earlier, where there's that, um, you know, cider material you get that will indicate, you know, those, uh, those strikes that you get. So you'll see it's basically just like a high vis color um, piece of, of leader material, tip material, um, thicker. I don't, I don't know what, it's probably like OX size material. Um, and then from there, it's just like usually five feet of 5X and then a triple surgeon. And then you have a little tag end off of that triple surgeon. So you're basically running two, uh, two flies off of that rig and they're, um, you know, one is the anchor fly, the one at the bottom, and then you have your dropper that comes off of that, um, that tag end of that triple surgeons. Okay. Uh, some people, they, they actually make specific Euro nymphing lines um, that are basically the, the equivalent of like the running line on a way forward uh, fly line. Um, so it's just really thin um, fly line material. And the idea is that you don't want any sag in your, your line causing drag or, you know, lack of, you don't have as much sensitivity with that. Um, so that's the whole point is you want to, you want to have basically zero, um, you know, zero, uh, sag in your line that's causing those flies to be pulled through a drift unnaturally. Okay. Okay. Cool. You know, increased sensitivity and better presentation that way so what fly patterns might you use on the uh, cedar when you're an infant so really you can use i mean you can use any any fly pattern um you're an infant. i i tend to tie most of my fly my nymphs on jig jig hooks um with tungsten beads that's kind of the standard in the euro nymphing world um but my my go-to patterns and this is probably, you know, no secret to anyone in that, that world is, you know, a Frenchie. I, I fish a size 14 or 16 Frenchie probably 90% of the time during the summer on the cedar. It's just, that's like my confidence pattern. I, I love it. I, my Frenchie with a, a ice blue collar is like my go-to confidence pattern. Um, other things, uh, sexy waltz worm. That's, I mean, we use that on the Acma a ton too. I mean, all these flies I, I use on the Acma as well. Um, and there's a couple other kind of, um, you know, unique bugs. One of them is a, it's a soft tackle carrot. It's a, it's got CDC collar on it. Um, that one, there are some days that that fly is just just absolutely crushes fish i think it's typically during um during you know caddis hatches because it does you know have kind of that that caddisy emerging caddis look to it um so that's a you know another again jig hook tungsten bead um and then there's just hair's ear with a there's um orange rib on it and then a, a cdc um collar with a little bit of you know hot spot on the on the front of that so those are those are three kind of main flies that i fish and then you know obviously a a pass rubber legs you know that's that'll work anywhere anytime um but honestly the beginning of the year fishing a like size four or six black pats rubber legs is like that's yeah that's been fire that's been great very cool. Yeah. But yeah, really those, you know, those four patterns are, are what I, what I fish the most. Pass rubber legs, Frenchie, soft apple carrot, and the sexy waltz. That's gold information right there, everybody. Heck yeah. <laughs> everybody <laughs> better be taking some notes here. Yeah. yeah. He's not lying. And the red copper john. Oh, red copper oh, john. You can't you can never go wrong with the red copper john. The red copper john is, yeah, that's a, that's a staple in my box too. Very cool. What if, what if, uh, what if someone wanted to dry fly fish on the, on the cedar? What are maybe some go-to dry flies for the cedar? Um, a size 16 parachute Adams. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, that's, that's my favorite fly of all time. I would, I would fish that every day. Um, but you know, big, 
big foam attractors with a you know dry dropper kind of thing works great again it's you know that typical summer fishing where you've you know fish are are active and they look up quite a bit there's you know stone flies there's grasshoppers there's other terrestrials um fish are willing to come up for those big dries but doing a dry dropper having a you know a big dry with a little Frenchie off the back or something like that works, works great too. I also really like, um, an X caddis. That's my favorite caddis pattern. Um, super easy to tie, really effective. Um, probably my, but between that and, um, the, uh, Mercer's missing link, um, you know, parachute Adams, X caddis and a Mercer's missing link in terms of like mayfly caddis dries. Those are really all I ever use. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Pretty simple. So do you have any advice for people that want to get started in fly fishing on the cedar? Uh, maybe where they can go get some more information. Yeah. I mean, um, again, it's a, it's a really accessible river. So I think getting started, just explore like, start you could go now like even while the river's closed go explore there's some beautiful parks and um you know again there's a, a biking walking trail that goes the length of the river um and just going out and exploring and seeing you know different access points and those kind of things i think is is a big part of it um you know don't get stuck going to the same spot every time um don't go to those popular spots every time um you know, obviously reaching out to us, you know, me specifically for, for information, if you want to email or, um, you know, message on Instagram or anything like that, that's a great way to, to get more information. Um, you know, I feel like in this time more than ever, I feel like I need to plug other local fly shops. So, I mean, just anywhere in the Seattle area, um, Orvis Bellevue and Orvis Seattle are both, um, great resources. I mean, those guys there, I know you guys fished with them recently and I mean, they're just good dudes, um, good dudes and and gals. So it's, you know, go there and, and, um, you know, ask them questions. Everybody around here seems to know plenty about the Cedar. So, um, yeah, just reach out to those fly shops. Um, book a trip with you, book a trip with me, obviously. (laughs) Um, and I think too, just yeah, finding other people that that fish the river and go with them, um, learn from other people, and yeah, just explore. If uh, if someone wanted to book a trip with you, how would they reach out to you? Um, so the same way we book trips for the the Yakima, just um, info at Ellensburg dot uh, um, or call. Yeah, or yeah, again, if you go to one of the Orvis stores, they'll also direct you. That we, I think we have all of our, you know, our contact info at each of the the orvis stores in the area um so you can go there too um or if you see a six foot tall bearded man on the cedar it might be Alex <laughs> the yeah. guard. It's either a sasquatch or me <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> use uh, caution yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah all right uh alex what a if there's people listening right now that want to get into guiding i know that you've you know, last couple of years, you've gone through that process. So is there anything you can maybe tell people to uh, just maybe some general advice or anything you wish you knew before you started that uh, could have helped you uh, in the process? Yeah, I think, um, I think first just uh, maybe talk to a couple of guides or go on a couple of guided trips and, and see what it's like from their perspective. Um, again, I, I had done that um, in the past. So I kind of, I knew what it was like to, to be fishing with a guide. And I knew what that guide's life was like during that day. Um, and obviously, you know, I feel like this goes without saying, but know that you're not going to fish. Like, that's just, that's one of the things that all guides joke about together is like, you don't get into this because you love fishing yourself. Like you love having other people fish and teaching people how to fish. Um, so I think just knowing that getting into it, like it's, it's a lot of work. There's, you know, when you have those full day trips, it's like you're on for eight hours straight 
it's tiring, but it's, I mean, I absolutely love it. Like every day is, you know, is a blast and it's, it's really, you know, exciting. And I love being out with people like that and just sharing my passion with, with those people. Um, I think, you know, again, reaching out to people and, shooting emails to, to guide outfitters like us or other local ones and just ask questions. Um, you know, I, I did that with, with an independent guide, um, and just went out with him randomly and he just said, sure, like, let's go out. I was like, cool. Uh, so I think you'd just be surprised with how generous and friendly people are, um, in the industry. Um, I think the other thing is, um, you know, if you do get into it and it's something that you're like trying to get good at or um, improve your um, readiness to be a guide, I think building some sort of routine in your day, even if you're going out by yourself, like have a really like firm routine, A, so you don't forget anything because uh, that can be a huge bummer. Um, and also just to make things go much more smoothly um i feel like it took a few trips to like nail that routine down of you know going through the safety measures at the beginning um then going through like you know some of the instructional stuff and then little things like you know setting up lunch and doing meals like i feel like that's what a lot of people getting into it don't realize um especially for us it's like that that meal prep and lunchtime is, is like something we try to provide a high level of service for our, our clients for. Um, so I think those are, those are big things to, to realize. Um, All about the client. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, I see some people out on the river that just don't seem to really like other people, but you have to like people if you want to be a guide, like at least a little bit, or like at least care about, people's enjoyment on the river a little bit to to be a successful guide yeah no ego involved exactly yeah yeah and that's what i love about our crews i feel like we just we have yeah a very um you know welcoming and and friendly group of of guides that you know provide great service yeah and i think it's important for people to understand too if they're getting into guiding that uh, it's really big i just want to make an emphasis on the ego thing like Alex started guiding a year ago and Kyle and I have been guiding for a few years and we have some guys on our guide staff that have guided close to 10 years and we're, we're learning stuff from them, but they're also learning stuff from us. Like no matter what level of guiding or um, what level of angler you are, you're always sharing information and learning things from other people. Um, So I don't think you can ever say you're an expert when you're a guide. Um, But yeah, it does come with time. Yeah, for sure. Well, Alex, this has been a great podcast with a lot of information. I hope a lot of people are listening and taking notes for when they hit the water. But we are approaching that hour mark. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more people's time past that. So we want to go ahead and wrap this up with a few listener questions. We asked some people on our social media if they had any specific questions for you on the Cedar. Um, we have one specific one. And then we have one kind of fun one that maybe all three of us can answer if we want to. Um, but Alex, we're going to ask you this first question from at Grant Millard on Instagram. And he asks, do you tend to fish streamers or nymphs more on the cedar? And which patterns do you focus on? I absolutely fish nymphs more. Um, but I, I feel like this year I'm going to, I feel like I'm turning into more of a, streamer junkie lately for some reason um i don't know i just feel like i i like change and and you know adapting to different different circumstances so i feel like this year i, I might streamer fish more i don't know but typically when i when i go out i have at least two rods with me so i i typically have a, a nymph rod set up and a, a dry or a dry dropper rod set up um so pretty much every time that's that's what I go out with. Um, so yeah, nymphing is definitely, definitely more common for me right now. Um, the patterns I, I already mentioned a little bit of those patterns in the, um, you know, previous comment. Um, but yeah, the, 
things I the patterns that I would recommend having in your box if you're going to the sea right now, past rubber legs in various sizes and colors, a Frenchie or just a pheasant tail. Obviously, that's you know just one of the most classic nymphs of all time. Um, and then yeah, cop, red copper John, um, even some flashy stuff. You know, Rainbow Warrior is another one that I use quite a bit. Um, trying to think of the other um, lightning bug. I know that's that's one we use on the on the Yakima quite a bit. Um, but I mean, streamers are really effective on the, on the cedar too, especially that first. Seems like that first little bit when it opens up, it it can be pretty hot. Um, but anything like a, you know, Dalai Lama. Um, Sculpzilla, even some like really big, really big flies. Um, some of the big Kelly Gallup articulated streamers, just make sure you cut one of the hooks off if it is a two hook fly. Um, those are great. Yeah, those are, I mean, those are really the big, the big flies. I've, I've heard from people, um, in the area that you can fish, uh, mice patterns with Ooh. success. So I think that might be the thing I tried this year is, is yeah. Fishing those, those mouse patterns. Wow. Yeah. So when you're fishing those streamers or if you were to fish a streamer, are you fishing on like a sink tip and are you swinging or stripping or how are you fishing that? Uh, a little bit of both depending on the, the water that I'm at the moment. Um, but typically it's going to be like, you know, cast across pound the bank. Um, and then after doing that, do a couple, you know, a couple swinging drifts through the run, anything like that. Um, it seems to be pretty effective, okay. but that's really, you know, if you want to go and, and pull out some of the bigger fish on the cedar, that's going to be the way to do it. Um, you know, I see, I see fish out of that river every year, 20 plus inches, you know, in wow. most time it's, it's going to be on streamers. I mean, I catch them. I catch those size fish on, on tiny nymphs as well, but, um, you know, you're obviously going to get some of those bigger fish on, on streamers just cause they're more predatory at that stage. Wow. Right, so we have one last question, kind of wrap everything up. And this is sent to us from at big house outdoors, which is our friend Keaton. He actually fishes a lot on the cedar and he, uh, works a lot with the trout unlimited chapter over there. He actually, uh, kind of put everything together for the Cedar River cleanup last fall. Uh, so he's really involved in that. But he asked us a question today. What is your dream fish to catch? Maybe do a, Alec, maybe do a, a saltwater and a freshwater dream fish to catch. Okay. So saltwater, I don't know, man. It's got to be tarpon. Uh, <laughs> I had a feeling he's going to say that. I just, yeah, I don't know. They just, I feel like they're explosive jumps and, and I just think they're really like a really cool looking fish. Um, freshwater. I, I don't know. I feel like brown trout is not a good answer, but that's like, <laughs> I just, we just, because we don't have, you know, a yeah. lot of brown trout out here, it's just not a big brown trout. Yeah. Just a huge brown trout or I don't know, a muskie. Mm, that's a good one. But that's just because I, you know, it's so novel to me. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe when I get back to Michigan sometime, I'll, I'll try to do some musky fishing. Nice. Nice. How about you, Kyle? What's your dream fish to catch? Uh, I mean, we talked about dream destinations. Um, but if I had to choose one saltwater fish, I want to catch a trigger fish on a fly. Trigger. Mm. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Um, freshwater fish. It's going to be one of those suckers at Rocky Ford because there's are hard to catch. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to catch. <laughs> uh, only, Kyle, only Kyle would say that. Yeah, only yeah. Kyle would say that. Yeah. And I like that sound. Yeah. Out of everywhere in the United States, you catch freshwater fish. <laughs> I want to catch one of those little, like the little suckers, not the carp. Like the little tiny suckers at Rocky Four, those ones are hard to catch. That's what I want to catch. <laughs> wow. Mm. Oh man. Um, for me, saltwater would probably be a GT or or a rooster. That's uh one of those, and then freshwater would be just a huge pike. Nice. Yeah. yeah. 
Nice. You see those pictures where they're like holding it like two people? Yeah. yeah. So that'd be pretty cool. For sure. Top water for sure. Top water. Ooh. Yeah. That'd be cool. Well, all right, Alex, we appreciate you coming on the episode today. We're excited. This is our first guest podcast. We're going to keep doing more of these in the future. Alex, thank you for your time today. And yeah, guys, I appreciate it. It's been awesome. Yeah, we hope to get you back on another episode. Definitely when fishing opens back up, we'll all have to fish together. Might do a little podcast on the water, a little bit of live fishing action going on. Mm-hmm. Um, It'll be explicit. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, we're gonna be hitting that explicit label. We should, yeah, we should, we should make sure we record like the very first day we all get back together to fish. Yeah, we'll all mic up. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. <laughs> you guys are gonna have a nice five-hour-long podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'll you'll be able to hear our smiles the entire time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, guys, before we sign out, want to make sure that you guys are listening to us on anchor on apple Podcasts, spotify uh, wherever you have uh, your podcast app your listening software we're on quite a few of them if you do listen to us on apple podcasts make sure that you are leaving us a review and a rating let us know how we're doing we like to answer your listener questions on every episode so make sure you're sending those to our social media uh, or um, on the ratings on apple podcasts and make sure that you are staying up to date with us on our social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Anybody else want to have anything else to say right before we end the episode? I think we covered it. Thanks again, Thanks again Alex. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. yeah. Hopefully, we, hopefully we can fish soon. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Sooner than, sooner than May 4th, but probably not. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping my new, my new time is, I hope, by Memorial Day. Yeah, that's I, that's what I think is going to be the case. Yep. Hopefully we can. I mean, Mother's Day would be great for Caddis, but we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to see. Well, let's, let's end it here before we get down a rabbit hole because I feel like we're about to go down another rabbit. Hole. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> for sure. All right. All right, Alex. Thanks again, man. We'll uh, we'll catch you uh, next time we can fish. Sounds good. See you guys. See you, Alex. Thank you. Bye. Jordan with the outro. Woo. Tune in to the Allensburg Angler podcast every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Submit your questions on our social media to get answered on an episode by your hosts, Keegan and Kyle. As always, tight lines, and we will catch you on the next episode.